Amen. Thank you, Paxton team. How is everybody this morning? Good. Hey, happy new year. Um, I'm a week behind on it. I didn't get to spend time uh, with you guys and gather and worship with you last week. Thankful uh, for Hunter uh, and just his ability to share the gospel with us in the life of Jacob. Um, but I'm glad to be back and worship with you this morning. We're going to be in Colossians 1. If you have your Bibles, uh, turn to Colossians chapter 1. Specifically, we're going to be in verses 3 through 14. Uh, but there's going to be a real emphasis, a real, a real thrust toward verses 9 through 12 specifically. Uh, so Colossians chapter 1. 3 through 14, really going to look at 9 through 12. Um, hey, I, I got this question, a burning question, uh, and it just, I got to be honest, just didn't go very well in the first service. Didn't go over great. Uh, so we're, here we are. We're going to try it anyway. Um, look, how many of you have made New Year's resolutions? Is this what we do now? No one does this anymore. All right, just a few of us. Thank you, Heather. Uh, look, like, here's the thing. I, I, this is one of my, I, it's so strange to me, this is one of my favorite things. Um, it's my favorite thing to fail every year is this, <laughs> uh, look, no, but I love making a new year's resolution. Uh, it, it's, it, there, there are so few times, I think, especially, um, the, the, the older I get, the, the, there's so few times where you get a clean slate where you kind of start off with a sense of newness and a sense of freshness. You get to just start over with a thing and anything. We decide what those things are. We make this resolution. And what is a resolution? It's this. It's a decision, this simple, just a decision to do something or to not do something. That's, that's what a, a resolution is. And, and the connotation surrounding the word is that, that it's something that we commit to. It's resolute. There's something that we're determined to do. Look, I love making a New Year's resolution. And there's a couple of different categories in which this typically falls. I think for most people, it's physical, right? Like people want to make changes to life and health. So if you've gone to the gym this week, it's been packed. It's been crazy in there. I guarantee you it did not look like that the last week of December. All right? That's not what it looked like. We've got a lot of people that have this desire. We're going to eat better. We're going to be in the gym. We're going to do that kind of stuff. Uh, look, there are people that just have emotional resolutions they're making. They want to strengthen relationships. They want to be better connected to, to family, to, to friends. They want to be more available. They want to seek to meet the needs of others emotionally. And then for people like us, people who follow Jesus Christ, people who have trusted Jesus for life, for salvation... I think we likely have spiritual goals for our life, too. There are a number of us that have started, you know, Jan 1, we started reading a, a, a daily Bible plan to read through the, the entirety of Scripture this year. Or maybe you've made a commitment, this resolution, you've decided that you want to take a personal quiet time and you want to see God grow you in that and transform you in that. You want to find these resolute moments where you say, look, I'm going to be committed to at this time in this place or in this way, I'm going to read God's word. I'm going to seek to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge to grow in spiritual understanding. I want to know, I want to experience who God is. So all kinds of, of resolutions that we can make Here's the thing, though, about resolutions, especially in our culture and our society. When we make a resolution, it's for us. It's individual. It's singular in nature. Well, that makes sense. Why wouldn't it be? How could it be corporate, right? How can we make a resolution for somebody else? I want to ask you this question, though, in a very pointed manner this morning. How many of you have ever made a resolution or thought toward the benefit of a new change in a new season, something better, a resolution for someone else? I can imagine that since there was like only six of us that actually made New Year's resolutions for ourselves... That not many of us have done this. And that might, seem sound like a, that might sound like a really strange question. Like, how do you make a resolution for someone else? How are you determined for someone else to do something or not do something? How does that happen? We're actually really confronted with something akin to this in the context of what we're going to read today in Colossians 1. We are going to find the Apostle Paul 
as he writes to this church at Colossae, this young church in this new season of life, something very resolute. This thing that he resolves to do, that he's determined to do, this resolution, but it's not for him. It's for them. It's not for him individually. It is for them corporately. We're going to see that in the text today. This is Colossians chapter 1, beginning in verse 3, and we're going to read through 14. Colossians 1, 3 through 14, and it says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit." And then now look into verse 9, and it says this. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is the word of the Lord to which we respond by saying, thanks be to God. Okay, here's the thing. There's a lot here. There's a lot in these verses. Um, there, there's all this stuff happening in 3 through 8, and then this additional stuff happening in 9 through 12. We, we read all that together to get a full picture, to get a full context, so we can understand what these things mean. Now, I know that in an expository manner, we walked through Colossians uh, in, in proper this past year. Uh, but, but today, we're going to draw out some really distinct and unique things out of this passage that I believe the Lord has for us uh, to understand what it means to pray for others. What it means to pray for others, to resolve to, to desire to, to be determined to pray for this incredible thing that we see Paul pray for, for others. All right, look into verse 3, and this is what you find. Paul's posture toward this young church in this new season is one naturally of thanksgiving and prayer. So he thinks of them, he writes this letter to them, and he does so with his heart of thankfulness. Well, what's he thankful for? He's thankful for the fact that he hears of, that he knows of, that he's heard of the faith that they have in Jesus Christ. This brings him to this place of thanksgiving because they believed in the gospel. And so we see him, even throughout this passage, recognize that the Great Commission is taking place right here in Colossae. All these incredible things are happening. People from all nations... This nation, somewhere vastly different, because here's what you got to remember. I think a lot of times we take for granted, we look at the epistles, the letters, the writings of the New Testament, and we see and we say, oh, well, Paul writes this. This must be the church that he planted. But remember, historically, Paul did not plant this church. He did not start this church himself. In fact, hasn't, hasn't been there. So, so ultimately, he, he, we see in verse 7, this is Epaphras, this person who has really come as a citizen of Colossae, who has come to bring this church to fruition and help shepherd and lead this church, he actually came to faith, it's very likely, from hearing the gospel in Ephesus when Paul preached. And Paul was there. And has now taken the gospel back to his hometown, back to Colossae, and the church is bearing fruit. It's growing. People in a different place than from where Paul is. And we think Paul is is writing from prison in Rome around this time to this church. People in a different place are coming to know Jesus. It's not just this, this one church in one area. 
This is beyond Jerusalem. It's, it's throughout the world that the gospel is growing. It's bearing fruit. The Great Commission is coming to fruition. People of all nations are being baptized. They're coming to the faith. That is happening right here in Colossae. This is the account of the Great Commission coming to fruition, coming to life. And then three things to note that we find in this first set of verses in 3 through 8. And we get a real picture of how the gospel works in the church. How the gospel takes root, takes effect, and how the gospel transcends time. That it's not just this thing that happened in the past when we come to belief in Jesus for one moment. But instead, the gospel doesn't exist surely in the past for for us and for people, for the people of Colossae, but instead also in the present. They actually live in the gospel in the present and then look for the culmination of gospel promise in the future. Look at the past, the present, and the future that takes place in this passage. Look into verse 6 and you see this. The gospel that forms them, that shapes them, and, and that gospel means the account of the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's appearing to his disciples and then his ascension to the right hand of the Father. All of these things, the very person and work, all of who Jesus is and what he's done, that came to them. Came is past tense. It came to them in past tense. We look into verse 6 and see that they heard it. They heard the gospel. They understood the word of truth, this gospel, in the past. They learned it from Epaphras, the one who, who starts this church. So naturally, the gospel's relationship to this church is in a past moment. It happened in the past. But it does not stop there. For life in Jesus, to to be a believer, to be a Christian, this is not just like we got saved, and that's that, and that's all. And now we just go to church and attend, and we do stuff, and we try to be a good person and I think what we often fall into is just like trying to maintain, right? Trying to maintain the, the, this, this goodness or this sense of, okay, well, well, God saved me. It's my job to stay saved, right? That, that laughter is real because it's true. We feel that way. But this is the present reality of the gospel that we find in this passage. The believers, look into verse 4, they are living out their present faith in Jesus. So when you and I read that, when we read those words in verse 4, it says, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, to us that might sound like Paul hears of these believers making a decision to trust Christ in a moment in the past. But in reality, What's happening here, the way those words are constructed in the original language, what it's saying is he hears of their actual, right now, active faith in Jesus Christ. The way that they're living in the present moment reflects that this wasn't just a get saved decision they made in the past. No, they trust in the gospel right now. That it sustains them. That their faith, that their life, didn't just take place in a past moment. It's taking place continually. Jesus is making all things new. So when Paxton would, would shepherd us this morning and share with us, look, like, this is a hard reality. Broken relationships, sins, things that we've done, guilt, shame. These things don't just have, not have power over us because of one moment in the past, but also right now. We live in the freedom of All that God has done for us in Jesus right now in the present. And then look into verse 5 and you see the future. The gospel came to them in the past. They believed it. They live in that reality. And look at the future that they anticipate. Paul writes and he says, he describes that faith in verse 4. And he says, because, in verse 5, of the hope laid up for you in heaven. That word hope means confident expectation, not wishful thinking. They look toward a future where faith becomes sight because of the promise that they've been given in Jesus Christ. So remember we sang just a moment ago in, in that Colossian hymn, set your mind on things above. That, that's the beginning of Colossians 3. So set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And then Paul goes on to write in verses 3 and 4, when Christ who is your life appears, you'll also appear with him. 
So the future anticipation for the Christian, for you and me, for the believer, for these believers he's writing to at Colossae is this. There was a moment where we trusted in Christ, all that he's done. And now we live in the present moment of continuing to believe the gospel and its implications for our life. And one day, Christ will return. We are bound up with him. He is our life. And as a result, our faith will become sight. So Paul, succinctly, he rejoices in these truths. He writes with thankfulness. He sees all this thing happening. This is the lay of the land. This is the landscape. This is, this is the place where he sees and he takes kind of stock and assessment of everything that's going on in the life of this young church. And he finds them believing in the gospel. The word of truth, that hope, he finds them living in the gospel. They have faith in Jesus in a present way, and then he finds them living out the gospel. They have love for all the saints. They're demonstrating the goodness of God and who God is for all the world to see. That's a beautiful picture of what a church longs to be. That's how we articulate how we want to be. We want to be a church that believes the gospel, that proclaims the gospel to one another and to the world. We want to be a church that lives in the gospel. That means we participate in this life where we care for one another, where we're a faith family because we have fellowship with God through Jesus. And we want to live out that gospel. We want to proclaim to a world that longs to be loved, that is broken, that shares the same pain that we knew in a deep way before we came to Christ. We want to show them love. That's what a church should look like, and that's the church that we see here. And as he takes kind of stock and lay the land and embraces everything that's going on around him, he's drawn to this one specific thing. He's drawn to this one specific thing. Now, look, this is part of the reason why I love the new year and my new chance to fail at my resolution, right? Look, at the end of the year, I think we all, as we're waiting for the ball to drop, we kind of take stock of where we've been. We can't help but do that to some degree, right? With, with even just the numerical finality of 2021, you think about the year that just passed you by and what the next year will become. All right, this is my favorite meme I've seen in a long time. I'm not going to like say it verbatim, but um, I had somebody that sent me this and was like, hey, I really want 2022 to be the Toyota Corolla of years. It's boring. It's safe. It's reliable. High mileage. Affordable. And fun for the entire family. Right? Like, who wouldn't want that kind of 2022? But, but look, when, when Paul writes this, he takes stock of, of his 2021, of his lay of the land, but specifically for this church, where they are and all these incredible things happening, and yet he's still resolute in the midst of all this gospel truth. They live in this way where they're, they're living out the gospel in this young church. He still has an urge. He still has a resolution for them, something new. And this is what it is. Look into verse 9. And so, from the day we've heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So this is what Paul does. He's drawn to, in the midst of knowing all these things, this very specific prayer. And this is his prayer, that they would have this, that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the content. That's what he prays for. That's what he longs for this church to experience, that they would understand what it is that God has for them, his will, that would come through all spiritual wisdom, that that wouldn't wouldn't be known by the way of the world, but instead by what the Spirit imparts, and they would have understanding about that. How do we know that Paul is so resolute in this? That's the content, but look at the next thing. This is the consistency. He says, and so from the day we've heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. This is the rhythm 
with which Paul prays this for the Colossian church. Without stopping. Consistently. He's resolute. He's determined. He wants this thing to happen for this body of believers. So he continually, consistently, he constantly prays. Even as you read that, your mind's probably drawn to 1 Thessalonians and other passages where we're called to pray without ceasing. This is what he longs to do for this church. So the goal is that they would have the knowledge of God's will... They would come through spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so he prays to this end consistently. And then there's the result. Look into verse 10 and you look through 12 and you get to see the result of what this is. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And then he describes what that looks like. That very first phrase, so as to walk, is the purpose clause It's the result of the prayer that he's consistently praying. That these people would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. So if he prays this, the goal is that this is what would happen. They would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Paul uses that word walk a ton. Specifically in Colossians. You're going to read, if you look into Colossians chapter 2 verses 6 and 7, you see that phrase, so then, as one of the really the linchpins of this whole letter he writes to them. He says, so then, just as you've received Christ, so walk in him. That's what he writes in Colossians 2, 6 and 7. That language walk is really intentional. He's not just trying to mix it up and say, well, I've said live a lot, so let's try walk. That, 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 that'll work, right? Walk in this context, in this language, in the Greek here, it's a very specific combination of of two words. It means to walk with action in a way which life is reflected. So it's describing life. But it also does it in such a way where it means to walk, not just walk in action, but walk around. To walk around, that's what that word means. But that around doesn't mean in a circle. And it doesn't just mean in different places. It means fully and completely. It's actually descriptive of full circle. That's what this kind of walk is describing. He's saying, look, I want this church to live in such a way that's incredible that they walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and they're fully pleasing to him. That's why that walk is full circle. He wants these believers to please the Lord in every way. What does that look like? This is what it looks like. That they would bear fruit in every good work and that they would increase in the knowledge of God. Now, that's not just mental knowledge. This is not just education. It's not a mental assent to who God is only. Instead, it's the knowledge. It's the experience of a relationship with God. And that as a result of that relationship, they would, they would look like this. They'd be strengthened with all power according to his might. They would be these people who would powerfully, in their context, be able to do a few things. One, and we're going to see more of this in a moment, but endure challenge and persecution and, and pain that would come from the outside world. But also the ability, the power to push against and push away false teaching that would try to seek to creep in and come to the church. So Paul wants them to to know the Lord, to be strengthened with this power, and he's very quick to clarify that this power is according to his glorious might, not what they've done, for the purpose of that endurance, that they'd have patience, and that in the middle of having endurance and patience, anybody want more endurance and patience? Raise your hand. All right, for, you want more endurance and patience, right? But you don't want the things that like causes that, right? Anybody want to like? So we'll like, we'll raise our hand. We won't make resolutions. This is the strangest thing. We won't make resolutions, but we'll raise our hand and say we want endurance and patience. But I bet we don't have a lot of people praying for patience, right? Right? Those are things we want. These are things that we want. How do we get to that place? God strengthens us through his power, his endurance, or gives gives us endurance so that we can have patience and that it's marked by joy. That we walk through hard stuff and our countenance isn't forlorn. We're not sad. We, We can deal with the reality of pain, but that we're people that are marked with joy. And in the midst of all of this, that we'd be people, that this Colossian church would be people that would give thanks to the Father. 
who has qualified them to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Look at that phrase, giving thanks to the Father. So one, they're a people of thankfulness because they recognize that their life, that the gospel that they share in, this inheritance of the saints of light, it didn't come from them. It wasn't something that they qualified for, that they went out and got. In this simple phrase, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, we get the picture of, the understanding of, that relationship with God is not about us attaining some level, about us getting better. That's not possible. In our sin and our brokenness, and our brokenness, we can't qualify ourselves to have a relationship with God. But instead, He transfers us. From the dominion of darkness to the kingdom of light. He redeems us. We experience the forgiveness of sins. Could you imagine if people saw our church in this way? That this is what we're a part of. That when we looked around with each other, we just didn't see like a bunch of good looking folks who were getting coffee out here. But instead, we, we recognized People together, one another, as folks that are living in such a way that they're walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, that they're fully pleasing to Him, that they're bearing fruit in good works, that they're increasing in the knowledge of God, that they're folks that reflect God's power, His divine power, and have endurance and patience, and they do so, they walk through hard things with joy, and they're thankful. That sounds like a pretty amazing church, right? And look, I want to encourage us. There are a number of ways in which we do reflect this. But yet there's room to grow. I would say that this in so many ways is a resolution for me for who our church would be this year. Who we would look like. That our church would be one in which we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That that would be the result. That this would be emblematic, characteristic of who we are as a people. How do we get to that point? How do we get to that point where, where we do that, where we move in that direction? And here is what it is. Um, anytime you're looking to figure out where you want to go. Where you want to go, who you want to be. you got to recognize where you are and who you are. So in that vein this morning, I want us to take a moment to look at, at where we are and who we are as a campus and as a church. Now look, um, Double Oak Community Church exists as one church on two campuses. So I know I met some of you. How many of you folks are new here and, you're, and this is your first day? All right, this is going to be weird. So we're just, I'm just right now, it's just going to be a little bit weird, uh, but hang with us, all right? Um, look, Double Oak Community Church began over 15 years ago in Mount Laurel, which is right down the road on Highway 41, okay? God did a work in the heart of the people there over the course of time where elders and leadership began to sense, began to desire, hey, we want to take the opportunity to press the gospel further into Shelby County. We want to see people in other places experience the good news of Jesus Christ. And to that end, uh, you know, four years ago, these, these practicalities became a reality. And then in July of 2018, we began worshiping as the Chelsea campus at Chelsea Park Elementary. Now, how many of you have been worshiping with us since we were in the school? All right? A number of us. Um, everybody, I don't hear any complaints consistently about, man, I wish I could move chairs today. Or why is there like weird gum or ketchup on my seat? Um, so uh, look, we, we, God's brought us to this incredible place where now in November of 2020, we began worshiping right here in this building. This is where we began to worship. And look, when these things happened... As God was doing these things, he set in our hearts and in the hearts of our leadership some very specific goals. Um, here were those goals. The goals that, that, that God gave to us and set in our hearts are this. One, that we would expand our ability to serve the community and serve Chelsea and serve the area beyond just where we were in Mount Laurel in one area. All right, so, so I started in Mount Laurel in 2014. 
All right, so I finished seminary and I began serving there as connections pastor and minister. And so I was a part of seeing people come to this place and coming from specifically quite often Chelsea. I would meet all these people who would say, hey, we're new here. We just moved here. You know, we, we, we were looking for somewhere. We worked downtown, but we were looking for somewhere that had, you know, like a, a beautiful area with great schools, reasonably priced homes. And they're like, so we landed in Chelsea. Uh, but we've heard good things about Double Oak. So we came to church here. I would meet these people over and over again, it would seem, week after week and have, b- begin to build these relationships. And our elders and our leadership and people sense this too. They recognized that there were people that, that were coming to Double Oak that they longed to serve that lived in Chelsea and beyond. And then additionally, they were growing missionally with a heart for that area. So our goal was to expand our ability to serve the area. Here's the second one. We wanted to transmit the DNA of Double Oak Community Church to a second campus. Transmit the DNA to a second campus. What does that mean? It kind of sounds like a science experiment, so I wish I'd have worded it a little differently. Um, But here's the thing that we mean by transmitting DNA. We wanted to see the core values of maturity and community and charity be lived out and expressed in the life of other believers in a different place. And I bet for those of you that that have been a part of the Mount Laurel campus or have been worshiping with us for a long time, even beyond July of 2018, when we started meeting at the elementary school, I I know for a fact that you, you, as God used you to help form this campus in a very foundational way, you experienced what you experienced in your time at Mount Laurel. And people that came here after visiting Mount Laurel or being there, say, hey, you know, it feels kind of the same. And not just a general vibe, right, or a feeling, but more than that, hey, these people are concerned with growing in the gospel, with growing in community with one another, with living out the gospel in a charitable way, seeing people experience and hear the truth of the gospel and seeing that love be demonstrated. All right, here's the third goal. We wanted to focus on relational, local ministry rather than ministry through screens. So I think a natural thing that a number of churches do is they set up an additional campus and then pipe in or use the teaching and worship perhaps uh, from, from a screen or on a screen from a different place. Our goal in the heart of our leadership was, hey, we, wanted, we want that ministry, uh, and that works for a number of people, but we wanted that ministry here in our context to be really personal. We want our ministers to know our people. We wanted to do ministry where we were actually really physically connected, where we ate together, where we spent time together, where we laughed together, where we cried together, all of those things. Those were our goals. And we had a very specific strategy for what that looked like. Here's the strategy. We want to have pastors that preach and lead worship across both campuses. All right, so in the beginning... You saw a lot of back and forth with people like, like Paxton and Hayes swapping for worship, like Adam coming over here and, and preaching and things like that. There were ministry needs to where, hey, as we're going to transmit the DNA, we need to bring people from there here and people from here there. So there could be this unique relationship where people preach and teach uh, and lead worship across both campuses. That was the first part of the strategy. The second was sharing certain staff members across both campuses. Now, we continue to do this now. So like Kelly Stevenson, who, who is our care pastor, he seeks to meet the needs of folks uh, in a physical and a tangible way uh, and also praying with folks. He does that across both campuses. Additionally, Clay Atkinson, someone who is our discipleship pastor, he not only coordinates and leads and helps shepherd community groups at our Mount Laurel campus, he does the same thing here. So that was the second part of the strategy. The third one was this, and this was really critical for us. We wanted to remain open to how the Lord would develop these campuses over time. The best laid plans, as the phrase goes, right? Like, so for a number of us, we make plans about certain things, um, but we have to be flexible because we know often those things won't go exactly as planned. How much more so spiritually were we to say, Lord, this is yours to God. Jesus, you're the good shepherd. We are merely under shepherds. You're looking at a barely shepherd here, all right? Um, we want to remain open and available to avail ourselves to your Holy Spirit so that you would lead us and you would guide us. So that was a strategy. And here is uh, the beautiful thing. All of these goals were accomplished. 
you and I sit in a place and have experienced the fact that, that Double Oak Community Church expanded our ability to serve the Chelsea area beyond the Mount Laurel campus. We're living proof of that. Here's the second thing. To transmit the DNA of Double Oak Community Church to the second campus, we've lived that too. We've grown in maturity and community and charity so much so that we've even contextualized and fleshed out exactly what that looks like for us. That we would believe the gospel in maturity, that we would live in the gospel in community, and that we would live out the gospel in charity. That DNA is over here now. That is happening. And here's the third thing. We were able to focus on relational local ministry rather than ministry through screens. We really know each other. I look out to a group of people who I don't just like know you because it's my job. That's part of it on some level. But I know you because we're in the body of Christ together. I know you because we're able to minister to you as friend. And, and someone that, that we shepherd with a real closeness. Not in such a way that we would go through a screen and, and not know you. But we, we know one another. Like a number of you know that like, my favorite thing to do is to meet with you to eat. Like, this part's fun. I love sharing the gospel. I also like doing it over meal, right? And a lot of you know that. Um, And so, look, we get to do that. We get to relate to one another in a very local and incredible way. All of these things to say in a very particular way and point us back to the passage this morning, if that is the goal, and these were the strategies and the goals have been accomplished, well, what's, what's the issue or what's next? Well, here's the thing. In the midst of all of this, I need to share with you what we've learned. We've learned a number of things, but four specific ones that I think are, are, are critical for us to understand. The first is this. The need for pastors to swap campuses has decreased over time. So it's, it's not that... It's not that Mount Laurel doesn't appreciate Chelsea's pastor, and Chelsea doesn't appreciate Mount Laurel's pastor, but the need to swap those over time has decreased as we've grown in relationship and relating to these two unique campuses and our congregations that gather individually. So the need for pastors to swap campuses has decreased over time. Same goes uh, for Paxton and Hayes in a worship standpoint. The second thing, our campuses are more unique than we thought. It's a wild thing to think that people are a little bit different than you, like, you know, four miles down the road. That's kind of nuts, right? Like, when we started here as a Chelsea campus, in in so many ways, we did what I think any smart person would do. We said, hey, there's this thing that's working that God's using in this incredible way. We're going to pick it up, and we're going to go four miles down the road, and we're going to set it down. That framework, that DNA came with us, but, but we've seen, we've noticed that our campuses are, are, are more unique and more different than we thought. Here's the third thing we learned. We need more campus-specific pastoral roles, including roles of elders and deacons. Well, what does that mean? Well, we've shared staff and continue to share staff with the Mount Laurel campus, but as we grow as a people, we need more pastors that are specifically dedicated to doing local, personal, relational ministry here. They can be firmly planted here and not go back and forth, but instead stay genuinely connected. And that applies to elders and deacons. We need more leadership from here to lead our people. And the fourth and final thing is this. Uh, Our deepest spiritual relationships are strongest within the context of the campus where we worship. Now, I've got this Colossians 1, 3 through 8 relationship with Mount Laurel folks. Because I have these conversations and phone calls weekly with folks who say, hey, I've heard about all the incredible things going on at Chelsea. About people coming to know Jesus, about people growing in the faith, about these two people that I've longed to know one another. They finally built this relationship and they're connected. Right? I, I hear these things and, and I'm so close to brothers and sisters at Mount Laurel. But the reality is my closest bonds, my deepest bonds are with you. Why is that? Because we spend time together. It's our proximity. It's the way that we consistently, we frequently relate to each other. Our deepest relationships spiritually are going to be with the people that we worship with. So if that's what we've learned, and part of this was an assessment and a lay of the land, where do we go from here? 
What are the things that, that we do that would push us toward, that would characterize us in such a way to be this people that would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? Because I assure you that's the, the heart, the deep heart of our elders and our leadership is that we would be people that are comprised of a local body of Christ's church that walk in a manner worthy of him. So where do we go for here? All right. Over the past year... Our elders, we meet consistently, and we have been praying through and, quite frankly, struggling together to discern the best way to govern our campuses going forward. Look, here's the beautiful thing. Our campuses are growing. Like Mount Laurel is growing and healthy. Chelsea is growing healthy. These are incredible things, and we long for the Lord to continue to do those incredible things on our campuses. But now we're challenged with the opportunity um, to figure out how do we best maximize ministry in these two unique contexts. In these two places, how do we maximize ministry? How do we go to the place where we can use our gifts, our talents, our abilities that the Lord and His Spirit has endowed us with to minister most effectively to our little communities, the places where we are? Well, to understand that, the first place that we have to get to is the knowledge of God's will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. After a year of wrestling and praying, I want to share with you this morning that that our elders truly sense that the Lord is moving our two campuses in independent directions. That the Lord is moving our campuses in, in independent directions. Now, I want to be unequivocally clear, so this is like an eyes on my lips moment, right? I didn't say that we feel like the Lord is moving us in different directions. And there's a very specific reason that I wouldn't use that language, and it's this. We're not doing different things. We're still growing as people who are centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're people who long to live out the values of maturity and community and charity. We're going to do similar things, but the reality is because of our context and being in different places, our elders sense that we are are, are being moved by the Lord to do this in such a way that we would be actually independent churches. Now look, we always knew that this would be a a possible uh, realization that we'd come to. We always knew that that this could happen. Uh, We did not expect or anticipate, quite frankly, that it would be this quick. Uh, so in many ways, the events of the past couple of years have led up to this, to have accelerated this, and our campus is becoming more independent. But here's the thing, and I want to say this very clearly as an elder uh, of our church, alongside uh, Richard Self and Joe Harvey, and alongside right now as we exist as one church and two campuses, Adam Robinson and Mike Mantooth and Tom Cash and Kelly Stevenson and Lewis Cole, all of our elders Uh, Here's what I would love uh, to say on their behalf. What I'm sharing with you this morning is not a decision. What I'm sharing with you this morning is an invitation. It's an invitation to join us in prayer. It's an invitation to pray alongside us. Here's the thing. I have a unique and distinct calling and role and responsibility in the context of our church. But at the core, I'm a member of this church just like you are. I'm a part of this body just like you are. And we long to be unified together. Not to make a decision for people, but instead to live in unity and come to a place where we understand, we have understanding We have spiritual wisdom of this very particular thing, the knowledge of God's will. So that's what this morning, this is the application. One point, one thing to walk away from this with, is that in the same way that that Paul would fervently pray, he'd consistently pray, he'd constantly pray, so much so that it would be described without ever stopping That he would pray that the Colossian church would have the knowledge of the will of the Lord so that they could walk in a manner, live in a manner that was worthy of him, pleasing to him. Today, I want you to pray individually. 
I want you to pray with your family. I want you to pray with your, your friends and folks that you're close to, people in your community group. Um, I want you to approach uh, our elders, our senior staff, folks that, that, that are a part of this body that you know are entrenched here. And not just ask questions, because you're going to have those. You're going to have questions about, like, is this a good idea? Should we do this? Is this financially feasible? What about the cross-campus relational component? There's going to be a number of questions that you'll have. That's great. But you need to understand that our goal is not merely to, to give you an answer. Our goal is to pray with you. To like actually stop right then and there and, and, and pray with you. So you come and ask. It's going to be, this will be fun. But like you'll come and ask a question. You'll say, hey, you know, have you thought about this? And I'll say, yeah, I have. And, and, and I think our elders have thought about it. And we've kind of walked toward this. But let's pray about it. And you'll be like, what? And I'll say, yeah, like right now. Not like, like I'll, we'll pray about it. Like I'll get in my car and you get in yours. We'll pray about it. No, like right now together, let's pray about this. We want to be truly, consistently without ceasing, praying that we would have the knowledge of God's will for where he's drawing us and leading us and shepherding toward as a church. Here is the beautiful thing about this passage in in Colossians and what Paul writes. He writes to a church that he hasn't visited, that he hasn't been to, that he hasn't beheld with his own eyes. He hasn't seen the gospel, and yet he hears this story of all the amazing things the Lord is doing there. There is this beautiful group of people that are four miles down the road. And they have given sacrificially, financially, and they've prayed deeply that the gospel would go forth in this area. And you and I are sitting in the physical proof that God has done that. That God has answered those prayers. We are the beneficiaries of that grace and that mercy and that love and that sacrifice. And it's the picture of the gospel and it's the picture of life. We are always standing on the shoulders of somebody else. Epaphras is a part of this church in Colossae that's raised up because he heard the gospel as Paul preached it to him. And that gospel that came to him, it came to him on the way to somebody else. And that's who we want to be too. So I think in times like this, when we use words like independent or, or, or things like that, people start to get freaked out and they say, hey, you know what? Like, I don't know that I love that. Here's the thing. The older I get, I thought I would always be this like spontaneous person that I would always just love change and that whatever was new, I'm in. You can't phase me. Let's do it. Whatever. Right. That that would be who I was. And this is how I know I'm getting old because I ain't like that anymore. And new stuff scares me, quite frankly. Like big stuff, big changes, organizationally, systematically, that kind of stuff can be scary. But this is the beauty of the church. It's the result of the Great Commission. It's the result of what God has done. As Jesus commands us to go into all nations, baptizing people in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, teaching them to obey all that He's commanded. You know what that ends up looking like? These things called churches. And they're beautiful. It's not just one church that all stayed together with a billion different campuses, and now we're the Chelsea campus of the Jerusalem church. All right? But instead, these, these, these churches that take on a life of their own that reflect the beauty of the diversity of God's people in a very particular place. So this morning, I want to invite you into, as our worship team comes, I want to invite you in an opportunity to pray. We're entering, in many ways, a very real season of prayer, an opportunity to pray about this. Um, So that might sound like really nebulous and open-ended, like, okay, cool, you're asking me to pray, but all right, when are we going to know something? When are we going to talk about this thing? Look, I would urge you, even beginning today, uh, you have questions, concerns, thoughts, things you want to pray through. Um, and w- would you guys do this? Joe Harvey is standing in the back, one of our elders. Uh, so let's do this thing where we all kind of turn our head and look at Joe. Joe's going to wave at us. Yep. All right. Perfect. Uh, and then Richard Self, if you'll stand as well. Richard is, 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 our, is our other elder here in Chelsea uh, alongside Joe and myself. Um, so look, go to these guys. Ask them questions. Let them know you've got 
burning questions and concerns and things, you're free to go to them and to ask them questions. And you know what those guys are going to do? They're going to take your question to heart seriously, and they're going to pray with you. Not to make you feel better, but they're going to pray with you for a very particular reason. You know why they're going to pray with you? Because they want to seek after the knowledge of God's will in spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because that's what we long for. Um, okay, here's the, here's the other thing. Practically, we're going to talk about this in a couple more weeks uh, on January 23rd. We don't have a time set yet, but we're going to have a very, um, I'll say formal, but it's us, so it's not like going to be very formal. Uh, so like, don't wear a tux. But we're going to have a formal uh, Q&A session where we have an opportunity to, to ask questions, to, to think. And then more than anything, it's really going to be a Q&A and pray. We're going to talk through these things, but we're going to have an opportunity to pray together about where the Lord is leading us. All right. Uh, In the midst of newness and in the midst of change, uh, I think it's really appropriate this morning for us to close um, with, with a couple of songs that do two very specific things. Here's the first one. We're going to proclaim and confess that it is God himself who holds all things together. When we look into the canon of Scripture, when we look into all of the different things that we understand and know about who God is, one of the most beautiful things, one of the most reassuring things is that that we have a God who does not change. A God who doesn't change. So James would describe it in this way, not like shifting shadows, not changing in that way. The writer of Hebrews would say it this way, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's how Paul would say it in Colossians 1, right after these verses in verse 17. This is what he would say, what he would write. He would write that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. So in the midst of something different, an opportunity to move towards something new, what we celebrate is that we worship a God who is unchanging. That ought to bring us incredible comfort. And the other thing is right after that, we're going to confess and ask the Lord in song to be our vision, to truly be our vision. So let's proclaim together this morning. Let's respond in this specific way by praying that God would give our elders, our leadership, our staff, our church collectively. The knowledge of his will for who we are. Little old us, just who we are called to be so that we can live in a way that's worthy, a manner worthy of the Lord. Let's respond by praying that and let's do that even by singing now and confessing, God, you're unchanging. You hold all things together. And God, in deep humility, I need you to be vision for me. I need you to give me clarity, give me your wisdom. So let's respond this morning uh, in, in song.